I'm Tara. And I'm Steph. And we're from Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast, and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors, and our team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help authors reach new readers around the world. With Kobo Writing Life, authors can now publish audiobooks and ebooks right in their KWL account. We don't ask for exclusivity, and you'll always control your pricing in up to 16 currencies. You can also create a pre-order for your audio and ebooks with no date limitations. We have a lot of great promotional opportunities for Kobo Writing Life authors available in the Promotions tab right in their KWL dashboard. If you're an author and you don't have access to the Promotions or Audiobooks tab, email us at writinglife@kobo.com and we'll get you sorted. We're all about providing excellent support. Create your free account today at kobo.com slash writinglife. If you want to learn more about Kobo Writing Life, check out our blog, podcast, and find us on social. Happy writing! J.K. Rowling was nearly homeless when she wrote the first Harry Potter book. Stephen King penned Carrie in a small desk wedged between a washer and dryer. James Patterson worked in advertising and famously crafted the Toys R Us theme song long before becoming an author. Join New York Times bestseller J.D. Barker and indie powerhouses Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon as they pull back the curtain on some of the world's most prolific authors. Where do they start? What is their process? The biggest names in publishing all have origin stories. All have tips and secrets. What does it take to consistently top the best seller lists and become a household name? Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writer's In. All right, welcome to the May Q&A episode here at Writer's Inc. Uh, just a, a, a programming note, we are not going to be doing these on a regular basis moving forward. We will do them occasionally. So uh, we will put a call out for questions when it is time. Uh, but we have some questions to, to take now. So, uh, Zach, you ready to team up for us? Let's do it. So let's take, we'll take this first one from our buddy Chris Wills. Um, this is a difficult question. That's what he had. He starts. Oh out. boy. So, All right. This, this be a good one to start. This might be the only one we answer. Um, I've been pondering this for some time. I suspect you might be an, unable to answer this. Uh, there are a series of TV films starring Tom Selleck. Who's Tom Selleck? <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm not that young. Um, Magnum PI baby, uh, based on Robert B. Parker novels called the Jesse Stone series. If you could use one word to describe the atmosphere in the films, it would be melancholy. It's mostly achieved by music, photography, and Tom Selleck's slow draw dialogue. How can one achieve this melancholy feeling in writing? Good question. <laughs> who's who's going to take that? Well, this is a difficult yeah. question, and Chris doesn't have much confidence in us to answer Who it. Who is the so. biggest Tom Selleck <laughs> fan here? That looks like JD. Uh, well, I don't know if it's – I just see a mustache when I, <laughs> when I think of Tom Selleck. I have and, no comments. And, and, and that car of his. I, I still miss that car. Um, I, you know, it's it's a weird I, – I tend to pick a lot of actors and actresses, and I based characters on them. So I, I think you could get away with using somebody like a Tom Selleck or, you know, somebody who's got that kind of slow drawl, you know, delivery. And, you know, like for me, I would picture that person. I would keep their, their you know, their dialect, their, their mannerisms, those kind of things in my head as I wrote out the character, um, along with their vocabulary. You know, you, you have to get, grasp that, too. Um, that's really the only way I know how to, to do that sort of thing. And, you know, I, I've done it before. I mean, to me, it's no different than writing, you know, a five-year-old kid or, or, or somebody that's got a heavy, you know, southern accent or or this or that you know it's just it's another way of, of telling stories um a lot a lot more wordy i think a lot more descriptive um you know there might be a lot more language happening between the, the actual dialogues to kind of get that sort of feel and slow it down a little bit um create that kind of vibe um 
yeah, I don't know how else to really describe it. I know I could do it. Yeah, I mean, the only other thing I would say is, like, maybe there are certain genres you could read to get that vibe. Like, uh, you know, like the uh, the book equivalent of, like, a film noir, like a, a, a crime story. I don't I don't know. Like, maybe maybe that's where he needs to go to kind of resource that, that tone. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly, it's not something you're going to be able to just pull off, you know, on a whim. I mean, you, you have to find you know like jay said you're gonna have to find some material that that is like that you're gonna have to just immerse yourself in it and kind of really get that in your brain um that's got to become your new norm if you're gonna try to write a book that way otherwise it's just it's not gonna it's not gonna work it's gonna sound fake all right i'm gonna um this one's probably gonna be mostly for jay i'm gonna ask the whole question because i think there's some context here that's important but this one's from our friend valerie um how do you reconcile multiple streams of income uh talking about multiple author services and the simplicity of offering one thing on your website for clients. I know that in order to build clientele, we need to focus our efforts, time and attention, and maybe even marketing on one service so you don't overwhelm potential clients with many options. Um, but I receive, uh, um, I receive income from various author services I perform, like editing, coaching, audiobook narration. How can I keep my website, newsletters, and elevator pitches simple enough and still allow clients to know what they hire me to do or what they can hire me to do. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think I have a, I think I have an answer for this. Um, but it's, it's what I've done. So this is not advice. This may or may not work for Valerie, but I, for author services, my entire goal is to get people on my email list. That's it. I want people on my email list because then as I, I nurture them, uh, through you know blog posts, uh, podcast episodes, I have an autoresponder sequence where I st slowly start to to show them other things that I've done. So whether that's editing or book coaching or um, author coaching, whatever it happens to be, but I I kind of feel like for me, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get a lot of cold purchases. Like people aren't just going to come to a random dude's website and purchase author services not knowing them whatsoever. So I almost don't worry about that. Like I, I have the services page. It's not hidden, but I really do all my selling to the email list because those are warm leads. Um, and so that is my singular goal with my website is just to get people on that email list. Um, and then all the other stuff, like you can, like I said, you, with an auto responder sequence, you can slowly say, hey, I do this and I do this. And if you need this, I'm here for this. Um, because it does, it's overwhelming if you're offering a lot of services, you're trying to have multiple revenue streams. And when someone lands there and they see all those services, it can paralyze them. Like it just can be overwhelming with too many choices. Just curious, have you ever tried Facebook ads? Yeah. For author services? Yeah, So, uh, but it's the same approach. Like uh, all the Facebook ads I've run for author services are to get people on, on the email list. They're not, they're not going to the ads. Now, I understand that the ROI is going to suck that way, right? Because if, I, if I'm running ads to, say, a $500 book package, you know, I only need a small number of conversions to make that ad worthwhile. Whereas if it's building an email list, I'm not going to see those as primary uh, return on investment. So... You have to you have to keep that in mind, and you can certainly run ads to to you know bigger, higher ticket services. Uh, but I kind of feel like, you know, once I get someone on the email list and we've developed a relationship, or at least they're familiar with me, my my chance of conversion goes sky high compared to just a cold lead that lands from a Google search. Well, I'm thinking you could probably use Facebook ads to kind of shape your business if you wanted to, because you could create one Facebook ad campaign and put five different, you know, if you offer five different services, create five different ads within that campaign and let the algorithm, you know, 
show that to you know the audience members and then you'd be able to look back on it a month or two later and see what's actually getting the clicks and then you know if you've got 80 percent of your clicks going towards one particular author service you know you, you it gives you an idea where to focus i guess is what i'm getting at yeah and uh, uh, related to that the other thing you can do is you can create different lead magnets for different services so you could have let's say you offer five different services you make five different lead magnets and you run facebook ads to those five different lead magnets and you tag people who come on the list based on the lead magnet so um, you get you get the data from the ad, and then as they hit your list, you're going to be like, "Wow, 80% of the people came here for book coaching as opposed to editing." Like, and that's valuable information that you can start to shape your services or shape your pitch for potential clients. All right, so um, here's one from our uh, good friend Angela. Uh, she asks, "If you could go back in time and change one decision you made in your writing career, what would it be and why?" If you wouldn't change a thing, why not? I'll go first, actually, since I've been making you guys talk the whole time, but I have an easy answer. Uh, I would have not done a royalty share on audiobooks. That's my biggest one. Um, I understand why at the time I did it, um, but I really wish I would have just paid for production, uh, especially now, because I'm coming up on that seven years, and it is about to be hell what I'm going to have to go through because I don't know if either of you guys know this, but basically like when you do the royalty share, you're in a seven year deal with your narrator and where you're sharing the royalties. Um, which also there's tax purposes now that it sucks, which I won't get into. Um, but, uh, I'm so ready to get rid of the royalty share, but, um, Amazon doesn't just tell you when that seven years is up. Like you have to keep track of it. And then you have to reach out to them. You have to come up with a side deal with your narrator and let ACX know that that's what's going on. And then they just pull the books down and you lose all your reviews <laughs> and have to and have to repost them with having all the rights. So uh, losing the reviews is going to be really the part I'm not really looking forward to. But uh, for me, that was the biggest thing. I wish I would have just saved my money. Uh, and the books were earning enough and I had a full-time job supporting me at the time where like I could have easily saved the money and just paid for the production. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that would, that would be my answer. I wish I had kept the rights to those, my first series. So. Yeah, I've, I've been on the opposite side of that. I've already, I've always paid for the, the entire production and just, you know, went that way. But, um, yeah. I guess th my takeaway from that is you need to track actually all of your, your contracts and agreements. And that's not something anybody really tells you at the get go. Um, but I, I've got hundreds at this point. Um, and I've got a pretty extensive ex Excel spreadsheet. Um, but I know I'm still missing stuff. Um, luckily I've got Kristen out there, my, my agent who's really good at tracking that. And she's got reminders that come up and tell her when something's come and due so they can go out there and renew it. Um, because other Otherwise, publishers will let these things just expire. You'll never know that it did. Um, and you basically, you've got something sitting on the sidelines that could be earning you some money if you were to go back out with it. So you, you do need a way to track that. And it's best to probably come up with something at the beginning because, you know, you don't just get slammed with 100 different deals. You get one here, then you get two, then another week goes by and you might have one or two other ones. It just kind of sneaks up on you. And before you know it, you've got all these moving parts that you're supposed to try and track. Um, from the writing standpoint, I don't think I would change anything. I mean, I, I, I've, I'm very superstitious about that. Like everything has worked out fairly well for me. And it, like, I, I don't want to, you know, like if I could go back in time like I, I don't think i would change a single thing because it would just i, I don't want to risk unraveling it um you know it's just like i've never been formally trained as a writer and like i've had a lot of opportunities you know where colleges have offered to you know allow me to get an mfa if i wanted it and like that kind of thing at no cost you know just to just to do it um but like i don't really want that in my head because you know like whatever i'm doing is working the problem is i don't understand why it's working 
but it is, you know, so I don't want to screw with that, that machine. So I, I, I wouldn't change anything. I would just go back and meet Angela sooner. That's the only thing I would change. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a given. Right? Angela's the best. Yeah. <laughs> she is awesome. No, I love in all seriousness, I've, I've answered this before. Uh, same same answer, but different reasons as, as JD. Like, I kind of feel like everything that I've come through has made me who I am. So, like, I don't – it's kind of a moot point. Like, I, and, and you can't do anything about it anyway. So, I just like, well, everything I had to go through was necessary to, to put me where I am right now. And so, I wouldn't change anything. You're as perfect as that plant behind you. <laughs> I didn't say perfect. <laughs> I just said I wouldn't change anything. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, so this next question, wow, there's even a pronounced name. Per, per, uh, I can't even say the word. You messed uh, up pronunciation. <laughs> I can't even can't say pronunciation. Uh, I'm such a good writer. Um, good thing I'm not, uh, I don't know. I have no jokes here. There's pronunciation of this name, and I'm still going to mess it up. Kassan. That's what I'm I think you say. got it. I'm not going to try the last name, though, even though there's a pronunci- pronunciation. Pronunciation. Oh, boy. I need to get past that word. Uh, <laughs> I'm appreciating more and more the benefits of hybrid publishing through traditional and self. While I start my query process, I'm curious of best practices. Uh, how many agents should you submit queries to at one time? If you have two novels in different genres, should you submit both and see which one is picked up or focus on one? Um, there's a second question here, but I'll let JD start with that first one there. Well, I would definitely just focus on one book at a time. Um, as far as how many agency query, I mean, that, that's totally up to you. I mean, when I did Forsaken, I used a form letter and I, I hit up 200 different agents all at the, the same time, you know, which was a horrible idea and I totally muffed it up. That's such um, a JD move. Around, yeah. Second time around, I, I queried 53 agents that I actually researched um, and I ended up with the 13 or 14 offers of, of representation. So it was like the exact opposite. Um, but, you know, that was problematic too because, you know, I had you know, multiple ones that I wanted to go with that I was, I was talking to all at the same time. And like, I had to make a decision you know, in, by that particular Monday. Um, and you know, I stepped on a lot of toes, you know, like I, I had a couple people that, you know, agents that read the book over the weekend, you know, knowing that it was a, a book that was going to sell well, um, that wanted to sign me on Monday and I had to tell them no. And like, you know, so you got to, you know, respect their time as well, which at, at the, I, I didn't, I, I didn't think any of that stuff was going to happen. So I didn't even think about it. Um, some agents will ask for an exclusive. They'll, they'll say, if you're going to give me the book, I don't want you to submit it to anybody else for X number of weeks, X number of months. Um, that's totally your call. I, I don't think I would wait on somebody else for something like that, at least not for a very long amount of time. Um, but, you know, take the time to research each agent, you know, go out on Publishers Marketplace, make sure they're a good fit for what you're doing. Um, take a look at their other authors, see what kind of deals they've got for them. Look at their website, figure out specifically what format they want to see it in, what they want from you, whether it's one chapter or three chapters, PDF document, Word document, all that kind of stuff, and follow, follow their guidelines. Um, they're asking you those things for a reason and you could have the greatest story in the world but if they want to see it in an aerial font and you send it to them in times new roman you know it might end up in the the recycle bin before you know anybody actually reads it so it's, it's worth taking the time to do all that i think you may have just kind of answered this but this is a follow-up question um uh where are the best places to meet agents and does a personal meeting help the process of getting accepted 
I don't know that a personal meeting does, but you definitely want to talk to them. I mean, my first choice as an agent um, you know, represents a lot of big name authors, and, and I thought she was the one. And I got on the phone with her, and like after an hour, I felt like I had just left the principal's office. Like I just got you know <laughs> yelled at. Like I just, I, and it's not that she did any of that. It's just she had a very intimidating type of personality, and we just didn't mesh. Um, and you know, I hung up that phone and I talked to my wife, and I was like, you know, I know she can sell this book for a lot of money, but I don't know that I can, you know deal with that like somebody that I can't actually talk to on the phone without you know feeling weird about it um you know with Kristen it's like I talk to her all the time and like she's you know it's like talking to my sister or something like we just have a very good rapport together um like you really need that because you spend a lot of time on the phone with your agent so whether you do it over a phone call a zoom call or in person you know try to get to know that person a, a little bit before you actually sign on the dotted line just to make sure as as people you you mesh um because it you know you need to I mean you're you're going to be in a business relationship with that that individual for a very long time hopefully all right so we got uh several questions here from chad boyer we'll i'll pick uh maybe one or two of them and then we'll we'll bow out of here so this one's actually kind of interesting jd that i'll ask you that he asked um he says sounds like jd has quote unquote won the treadmill that most authors hit in terms of making enough money to retire on without having to work with all the with all the smart investments that he's made um what keeps you writing well, you know, it was something I was doing for free before, you know, just to keep my head straight. It's something I've always done for fun. And, you know, I've, I've often said, it, you know, if people stop paying me today, I would still do it every day. You know, if I have a bad day, the one thing that always cheers me up is to sit down and just work on a, a story, short story or a book or whatever. Um, you know, and I, I think for you to do well in this industry, you kind of need that because once you get on that treadmill, you know, you, you've got to turn out books pretty fast. There's a lot of people that are, are hitting you up for, for something. Um, so you need to be able to produce. And if you don't enjoy it, if you're one of those people who has to force themselves to get in the chair even if you're a fantastic writer if, if you don't enjoy that time in the chair actually putting the words together that you're not gonna be able to hold it you know together long enough for a, an actual career um, so you definitely need to think that through a little bit this is a follow-up and this is actually from me just because I'm kind of curious like I know you obviously take this very seriously and treat it like the serious business it is but like do you feel like you're working when you're sitting down writing a book no no, it's, it's, that's it's all, see, I think that's, I, I asked because I think that's a huge key. No, I, I honestly, I feel guilty. You know, like I've, I've got, I've got somebody who's tiling a bathroom for me right now in the gym that we, we added to our house and like, he's out there working, you know, like he's, he's doing a real job. He's, he's out there sweating in the sun. You know, like I, I see people leaving every day, heading to their office. Um, you know, I've been in that world and like, I understand, you know, just how difficult that is and how lucky I am. I'm, I'm literally sitting in a chair making stuff up and somebody's paying me to do it. Like it doesn't get any easier than that. And, you know, definitely not more fun than that. Um, I, 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 to this day, still don't understand how this is, it's possible to actually make a living doing this, but you know, I'm, I'm glad that I am. Yeah. It's kind of stupid. I think the same thing sometimes and Phil, I don't know if guilty is the right word, but like, I, I definitely know what you're saying. Well, it's a weird thing. Like when you go to a party, you know, and you talk to people and they're telling you all about their day or how they just got this promotion or they just did this and they're working for so-and-so and they think they might get a raise or they're excited about their 401k. Like, oh, that, that stuff just makes me, makes me cringe. Um, but that, that, that's the real world. You know, that, that's yeah. pretty, that's pretty much everybody else, you know? All right. We'll end on this, uh, other question from Chad here. Uh, he said, I think Stephen King said that 1 million words published is an achievement to make you a great writer. Do you think that number is correct? If not, what is the number? Or does it mean you need to have an editor ensure you have deliberate practice in order for the million words to count? 
Jay, you look like you have an opinion. There is no number. No, that's the that's <laughs> there isn't a number. I I haven't heard um I haven't heard that Stephen King King quote, but uh, I, I don't know. I I have conflicting feelings about it. Like uh, I I know there are writers who I think are amazing have not written a million words. Um, yeah. on the other hand, like I don't. I think it's probably one in a million writers who like write their first book and and they're a great writer. So I don't know. Uh, JD, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this. I've got opinions about everything, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, in my master class presentation, I've got a half million there. Um, and, and there, there is no real number. Um, well, you're I, half I, as good as Stephen King. Yeah, yeah that, that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, it's like you're not going to go to the gym and do 100 pull-ups on your first day. You know, you, you, you have to work up to it. You start off with five, you start off with 10, and then you just you gradually work up. You know, and writing a book is, is very much like building muscle. You just have to practice and you have to keep at it every, every single day. Uh, I think that word count is out there just because at some point something in your brain clicks and you, you go from writing and sounding like the, the books that you read and enjoy to your own actual voice. You, you actually find your voice. And like that's, that's when you know, you're at that, that sweet spot. You know, for some people, that's a million words. For some people, it's a half million words. For others you know the very few and far between it's it's 10 words you know they just hit the, the ground running they're just they're just there um, but most people have to figure out what their their own voice is because they tend to emulate the, the people that they enjoy reading first and then eventually they find their own i want to add one little thing to the the second part of this question uh about you no know, do you need an editor to, to ensure you have deliberate practice for the for the million words to count and i i know our our most loyal listener, Chris, and I disagree on this, but uh, you know, you can write a million words with poor technique, and that's not going to make you a great writer. Um, yeah. If you are if you are practicing and you have poor technique and you're making the same mistakes over and over, and you have no one who's pointing that out to you, you can write five million words. I don't I don't think it's going to make you a great writer. So I I don't know what again. I, there's no perfect number. There's no sort of perfect practice, but I think every great writer has. Uh, a great editor or someone in their life who helps them become great, whether that's an editor, um, a spouse, a friend, uh, whatever you want to call them. But uh, I don't think anyone does it on their own. Yeah. I'm well, when you when you get to the, I'm oh, sorry, Zach. No, go ahead. When, when you get to the business end of it, you know, when an editor, an agent, or an editor, or somebody picks up that manuscript, if they see what in their mind is is mistakes, you know, those things are all costing that particular person, the agent or the editor, time and money in order to correct. Um, so unless you've got a phenomenal story where it's worth all that time and money, um, most of the time they're going to pass. I mean, a good example of that is Bird Box from from Josh Mallerman. Like he submitted that book, and like the the stories are all over the place. We've got the same agent, and I still haven't actually seen the original manuscript. But from what I've heard, it was all in italics, no punctuation, no paragraph breaks, just one line, you know, one giant block of stream of consciousness um, story. But you know, the the right people saw it and recognized that there was something there that that was worth pursuing. So they worked with them. You know, there were many drafts to get it to the point where, you know, before it got to publication. Um, but because they saw that, they and they, they followed through on it. it. It happened. But I think in most cases, you know, somebody, the, you know, on the business side is going to pick that up and they're going to just toss it. And like, you don't want to get dismissed because you don't know where to put a comma, you know, in, in your, your book. Like, you don't you don't want your whole story to go out the window just because you use the wrong font. Or, you know, you, you like a courier font, but, you know, the industry prefers Times New Roman. Like, silly little things will, will tank your career if you, if you don't follow the rules. Yeah, I was just going to, I was also, I was going to um, mention, I, I was glad that, you know, both you guys brought up the editing part too, just because, uh, 
you know, I know for me, I learned so much going through the editing process, especially on those first few books and was fortunate enough who, to have an editor where I was able to be like, tell her, Hey, I really want to learn and I want to get better at this and I want to make your job easier. <laughs> so, um, as you know, it, it were uh, honestly where she could focus on bigger picture things when she was editing my books. And, uh, I think going through that process is, is super important and just, you know, uh, having someone else look for your work and I think paying somebody to do it too if you're an R you know obviously if you're a traditional publisher that's a different deal but um yeah I think not just having like your your aunt who's an English teacher look at it or something that's not the same thing so no and, and honestly like if that's not in your budget if you don't have the ability to, to pay somebody to go through and edit your book pick up a, a copy of um, Elements of Style by Strunk and White you know, it's a quarter inch thick, but it gives you every you know possible grammar rule, and and you know when you're typing that sentence, you know, like if something's off, you know, you're you're putting the period at the end, and you're not quite sure if the period is supposed to go before the parenthesis mark or whatever it might be, something something simple like that. If if you're not a hundred percent sure, you know, just open up that book and look it up, and you know, then you know, and moving forward, you're going to know, and you're not going to make that same mistake. And that's essentially what an editor does for you. You know, you you send it off to the editor, they point out all your your problems, you go back through it, you see what you did wrong, you know, hopefully you're learning from that and and you don't make those mistakes again. But, you know, one way or another, you're, you're teaching yourself those those rules that you may not have picked up on during, during school. All right. Well, that'll about wrap it up for our questions then. Cool. So Jay, you want to take us on out? All right. So as we said, uh, we'll let you know when the next Q&A episode comes up and you can submit questions. But uh, that'll do it for now. So uh, if you'd like to be notified as soon as new episodes publish, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and sign up now. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.